You are now listening to Vibe Selection with Kyra, where you can get the real on today's hot topics. Well, welcome everybody, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Vibe Selection. I am your host, Kyra, and on today's episode, I have a very special guest by the name of Quan Glover. How are you doing today, Quan? I'm great. It's a pleasure to be here, Kyra, and it's a pleasure to be able to share my story with your audience. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you. So I'm very inspired by your story um, and your journey. So tell me a little bit about your upbringing and where you're from. Yeah, so I was born in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, I was born on Christmas Day in 93. Uh, with pretty simple upbringing, two-parent household, no real, no, nothing really in- interesting to report about my upbringing. Then uh, I moved to Maryland when I was about six, and I, in high school, I ran track. I played football, and when I entered college, I boxed. I was also on TV for a stint in, like, elementary school for some, a competition called Science Bowl, but I don't talk about it a lot because, I mean, no one cares. But, you know, that, that that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Pretty easy life. Never really had to struggle. Never really had to do anything out of the ordinary. But my life got turned upside down when I got to college. Wow. So on August 15th of 2014, you were admitted to the hospital to prepare for brain surgery. So what was your diagnosis? Yeah, so a little, I guess a couple of days before that, you know, I had been experiencing uh, dizziness, I was losing my balance. And then I guess when it all started is when I was going to my mentor's house and he, you know, I couldn't talk. I had trouble getting words off, something like a broken record. I couldn't write because I'm trouble walking. It was difficult driving. So I went to my primary care physician. He sent me to a hospital. They said, they did a CAT scan and said, hey, you have something in your brain that shouldn't be there. And I'm like, okay get it out and then they sent me to another hospital and they did an mri and they said something called a cavernous malformation which is a group of blood vessels that set and coagulated i guess if you want to call it on my brain stem which is why i was affecting my motor symptoms and again i'm at 20 years old at the time i'm just like i don't know what any of that means so if you could just fix this that'd be great and then and they sent me home to monitor and then i came back when, when i got worse and that's when they decided to go ahead and operate on August 15, 2014. Wow. So tell me the events that kind of led up into then. So you got diagnosed with that and then what transpired after your diagnosis? So after they told me that I had something in my brain, they said, hey, we're not going to do anything. We're just going to monitor. So I went home for this might have been a week before surgery, and I went home maybe a couple of days even. And I was just, you know, I'm kind of resting and kind of monitoring. And, and then one day, you know, I got up and it's like uh, my vision went blurred and my balance was really off. And then my dad drove me to the hospital. So there was no big long period in between the, the monitoring at home and the surgery. It was pretty much in the span of a week, I was right back in the hospital. Wow. And how old were you at the time of your diagnosis? 20. Wow. So right after that, so you got the brains, you got the surgery, and then from there you went on to have three more brain surgeries, then a stroke. What what defense did this surgery have on you in particular? Uh, this surgery, nothing. You know, I, I was still limited in my movement and things like that as my body was recovering. But uh, I, I mean, after the surgery, a week later, I went right back to school. So it wasn't physically demanding. Um, 
but I should have taken a time off, a lot of time off to let my brain heal, but I didn't because I was 20 and I wanted to get back to school. And uh, as a result, I was in school maybe up until I, I got out of surgery the 15th. I went back to school sometime on the 20th. And then I had a stroke after being in school for a month and I was right back in the hospital. So I had the surgery August 15th and I had the stroke September 18th. So I was right back in the hospital. So it wasn't too long before my body was like, all right, bro, like you need to get back in the hospital and get your stuff together. But the stroke, again, was really debilitating for me being athletic my whole life, having one side of your body, which was your dominant side, um, not react or act in a way that you're used to or accustomed to. I think that was where, some of the, you know, when life humbles you, it really humbles you. And that was a really humbling experience. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a very traumatic thing to happen to someone, especially being so young like yourself at that point in time. And like you said, you are a very athletic person. And this is something that is very debilitating and takes time to heal. So with all of this, how is your family dealing with all of your health concerns? Um, at the time, they were concerned and, you know, frustrated that it hadn't been fit. like the second and third time when I had the surgery, they were just like, you know, my mom was extremely worried and my dad was kind of frustrated that this hadn't been fixed already. And, you know, my they, people just rallied around me and did the best they could do. They, I didn't see a lot of what they were going through because I was constantly rattling. But I, you know, from what I could see, they were just doing the best they can with it. And my friends and family and loved ones. And, you know, for the majority of the first two surgeries, it wasn't a big crowd of people around me. Um, we pretty much handled it in-house. But it wasn't until the third surgery that we um, got the community involved and started to go fund me and raised a lot of money and raised awareness and started selling T-shirts and stuff like that. And the GoFundMe uh, really picked up. But it was a lot of, in between that, there were a lot of people would think that the, the surgery is what the hardest part. And actually, it's the aftermath and what will you do with your life then once you're, uh, you're, you're struggling with physical recovery, but you're really dealing with the mental and emotional um, aspects as well. Yeah, absolutely. So how long were you hospitalized for the condition? Um... For the first surgery, again, I'm stopping a week. For the stroke, I was in there for like a month. Second surgery, I was in there for like a week. Then I was recovering at home for that fall semester, which is fall 2015, so about four months. And then for the last surgery, um, I was out of school by then. So I was in the hospital at the surgery hospital for like a month or three weeks and then another three weeks or a month at the rehab facility. And then it took, you know, I'm still recovering from the third surgery every day. So uh, it's an ongoing recovery process because the mental, emotional, spiritual scars don't really go away. And I still have some physical deficits that I'm dealing with. So it's an ongoing recovery. Every day I'm getting better. Every day I'm getting wiser. Every day I'm getting more in tune with who I am and my body. So it's a, it's an ongoing battle, but I fight it every day. Yeah, absolutely. You're very resilient and strong, and that's awesome. So because you were um, undergoing so many surgeries, you say you eventually fell into a depression and you suffered from certain suicidal, uh, suicidal thoughts and were battling an opioid addiction. What were your feelings at that point in time in your life and how did you overcome 
that adversity that you were facing? Uh, you know, d depression, a lot of those things are enhanced when you were isolating yourself. And I didn't feel like anyone understood or could relate and feel like anyone wanted to hear about it. So when I had people that gathered around me and had friends and family and loved ones, you know, pulling me out of that rut, um, you know, that was a strong pull for me to get out of those mental states. And when I, you know, had the suicidal ideations, it was, you know, uh, again, a symptom of being alone and isolating and dealing with the trauma that I had avoided for most of my life. But as far as the opioid addiction, that was another tact I used to separate myself from my current reality. And, uh, you know, I overindulged on things that I had no business taking, prescription drugs, cough syrup, things like that. But I just realized one day in order to, you know, get over and face all the issues that I had become a part of my life, I could not continue to avoid them using the drugs to separate myself. So I just quit them cold turkey and made a decision that I was going to face everything head on. It was a difficult decision to make and a difficult battle to fight, but I, I did it. And, you know, I want to say to you honest, it's not every day that you kick something cold turkey and your story doesn't have to be tragic, but you are going to face things in your life that you, only you are equipped for. And this was my fight. And, you know, it took a little while, it took some time, took some therapy, some deep work, some understanding, some self-reliance and self-understanding. But it, at the end of the day, I had to face the person I saw in the mirror and uh, get out of my head the negative narratives that I created for myself that were keeping me in victimhood. And I wanted to be the ultimate hero in my own story, so I had to become a victor in my life. Yeah, that's amazing. That's great. I mean, a lot of times in those situations, it's easy to, you know, not be able to overcome some of those obstacles to fall into kind of a red of darkness. And that's amazing that with all the adversity you faced, you were able to pull yourself from out of that. And that's something that a lot of people can't, you know, necessarily say that's happened for themselves. But I think that that is amazing that you were able to overcome those obstacles in your life and know that, you know, you're here for a purpose and it's something more greater than maybe you thought of in that particular moment or that point in your life. But the fact that you hung in there and, you know, you had a plan and you were like, I want to be healthy. I think that that is absolutely amazing. So, yeah. It, it was a good, good fight to have. I say this is the biggest gift I've ever been given. Yeah. So since you spent so much time in the hospital, you say you accumulated a $1.2 million debt. So what were what resources were you able to get in that particular time in order to help you pay off that debt from all the hospital? <laughs> well, my grandma always said you can't get blood out of a turnip. So when I looked <laughs> at that bill... I was just like, I don't have a million two dollars. So you can charge them all you want. You ain't getting the money. And uh, one thing a lot of people don't realize is this: the only resource I really tapped into was like just being annoying, being unnet, being harassing essentially the health healthcare system. I'm on informal insurance every day, and like you, you just called yesterday, nothing has changed. Yeah, I know. I'm gonna call again tomorrow too. And then just keep doing that and keep doing that. And eventually just like, oh, well, we got to give them something to, you know, get them off our back. And it was serendipitous to, you know, all three doctors that I consulted with, Canada got a medical conference and decided on a doctor, you know, that was best for me. And because of that, insurance started chipping in and 
cover a lot of bills and we were able to refute a lot of claims that they made and just being persistent, pushing, persisting until something happened. And eventually they started knocking the bills out the way. And I was able to use the GoFundMe money that I accumulated for their medical costs, like medical equipment, therapy, things of that nature. But it, it, it just took never ending persistence. And I never once felt like it was un, not doable. I don't know where it came from, but I just knew like, if I kept doing this, they're going to eventually take care of this. Mm-hmm. Leave in God's hands. I mean, to me, it's just crazy that in this country and particularly that it's a business when it comes to people's health. You know, health is so important to everyone as a human being to in order to stay healthy. So, you know, people take a lot of pride in that, but it's just crazy that it's become like a business institution for people where it's only about making money and not really about making sure that person is healthy and having the resources for people that are in the situation that you were in in order to use that to pay off bills. Like, I, I, I think that that's something that's, you know, we need to do better in our country when it comes to, you know, uh, medical resources. I mean, you look at the culture that's in, in, that's infatuated people with the individ, individuality, the individualism versus the, the community and that group help. Um, why should I have to pay more taxes? Why should I have to pay more taxes for that person that's sick versus a community-based society where like, we do all this, we pay our tax of more money for the greater good. So it's just about American culture and that, that's kind of what separates us and everything is about the bottom dollar in this country. And if you can make a dollar off of it, why not? So it means that number of things. And you look at the healthcare system charts, the rankings, we're usually down at the bottom. So I'm, I wasn't surprised. I just never thought it would be me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so with all that you've overcome, how has your life changed for the better over these past couple of years? I would say that I am an open book. Like, I like to say that vulnerability is my superpower. Empathy is my weapon of choice, and my story is my fuel source. And now I don't feel any shame, or I don't feel like I need to hide my journey. I feel like my journey was given to me, not for my benefit, for me, to, but for me to have this story to share with other people, like the people that are listening right now, to give them inspiration, to give them hope that you may not have almost died or your story may not be tragic or it could be worse than mine, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel and that is my purpose now. I feel like I have a real purpose to bridge the gap between the darkness and that silver lining, that darkness and the light at the end of the tunnel to again, take you out of that victimhood mentality and bring you into victory to be the ultimate hero in your story. I feel an overwhelming sense of joy and peace and I'm not bothered by a lot and nothing really shocked me because once you come face to face with a possibility of immortality, I mean, there's nothing that kind of surpasses that. So again, I just feel like this overwhelming sense of gratitude, calm, peace, serenity, grace, favor, whatever you want to call it. I feel all those things all the time. And it led me to write a book. It led me to start a business. It led me to continually inspire people with my story. So I'm super good. And every day I get better. So oh, that's wonderful. So what keeps you motivated? Um, 
the fact that I'm starting to really understand that there's power in my story to change lives, to change the world even. You know, when a, a person reaches out to me, hey, I read your book and it hit me right when I need to, or, you know, what you said on that podcast, or what you did for me or my friend, if it if it changes your life in some way, my ultimate goal is to live to age 100 and impact a million people on the way. When I find myself really impacting people, and it's oftentimes the people that are not reaching out, it's the people that are just watching, to know that I can have a substantial impact on their life for the better, that's what wakes me up every morning. That's my why, and that's why I do everything that I do. That's amazing. Yeah, so like you mentioned, you wrote a book. It's called Favor, How Stroke, Struggle, and Surgery Helped Me Find My Life's Purpose. Tell me a little bit about the book and where others can grab a copy of it. So the book is available on Amazon in ebook and paperback format. And the book is a really detailed, detailed account of my journey thus far. Um, it starts, you know, in my school career and kind of covers everything up until July 2018. And it, you know, we talked about this opiate addiction, the suicide ideation, some of the surgeries, but there are things that we didn't cover. And that's what's covered in the book, the nitty gritty details, the introspective moments I had, the, the dark times I had and how I got through them and what my mindset was and is like and has to reel into when I was going through what I was going through. So the book is a really deep, a really a deep dive into who I am well, who I was and what I was on my way to do. You know, I'm going to write another book and another book and another book, and they'll cover different parts of my journey after this book. This book is really about a time in my life where I had to have those three brain surgeries and really figure out who I was going to be after it was all said and done. Yeah, so how long did it take you to actually write this book? Yeah, the thing about book writing is you can't even standardize it. So when I first started it, it was July 2018. But I would pick it up and put it down and pick it up and put it down and pick it up and put it down because I had to relive everything that I've been through on paper in front of me. And that was a really uh, emotionally taxing thing. Um, but I didn't really get serious about it until August of 2019. And it took me about six months to finish August, September, October, November, December, probably about eight months to really uh, wrap it all up. And I published it in September, uh, September 4, 2018. And, you know, that when I completed it, it felt like a, a moment of catharsis, like this is my journey on paper and now I can put it behind me. I've learned all I need to learn from it and I'm still learning every day. Now I can go out and communicate what I've learned and share it with other people. And I just thought, you know, a book will be one of the best ways to start sharing that story. Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. So do you still struggle with some of the effects uh, from the surgeries that you've overgone? Oh, oh, undergone, excuse me. Yeah, so the last surgery actually made it more difficult for me to talk because I don't feel the muscles on the left side of my face, so I don't really know what's going on over there. Like, I can, it still, muscles still work, but the, the feeling isn't there. On the left side of my mouth, the feeling isn't there. Uh, I still have limited motion on my right side, so not really much dexterity in my hand and my arm on the right side. Um, but I make do, you know, I guess I still be independent. I don't need anything. Um, but there are still some lingering effects, but it just, 
a lot of times something like this can be an invisible illness when people don't see it right away. So it just reminds me to constantly be in a state of awareness, but also remain present because, you know, that's the best way for me to operate emotionally, but it's also the safest way for me physically. So there are things that still linger, but again, I just feel great about where I am in my life. That's wonderful. So what advice would you give someone who may be currently in this, facing some of the same challenges that uh, you face and the same health concerns that you know you faced in your life? When you think about the word victory, you know, there are two sides to that V. There's one side is going down, and then there's the other side that's going up. And that's when they say you're either heading on your way to something or you're on your way out. Mm-hmm. And when you get to the bottom of that V, that's your lowest point. And a lot of times people get stuck there, and they live in that space, and I call that victimhood. What you want to do, some practical advice is be to get in a different environment, get around a living environment, get around people that care about you, find a community, tap into your resources, but also it back to you, you have to take personal responsibility and make a decision. Am I going to let whatever's happened to me, whatever I'm going through, traumatize me and define me for the rest of my life? Am I gonna, or am I gonna make a decision to use this as a weapon to propel myself forward to be an inspiration to others? And even myself, you're gonna have to look at, that per, look at that person in the mirror and understand this happened to you, but it's not who you are. It is not what's currently happening to you. When you think about something that has happened, your brain has no sense of time. So you're bringing those emotion, feelings, thoughts, into the present moment, find a way to remain present, grounded, and put one foot in front of the other. That should be your next concern, not what happened 10 years ago, what happened yesterday, or what happens tomorrow, what happens 10 years in the future. Find your peace in the now, and everything will become a lot more clear. And then, as you continue your journey, your purpose will become even more clear. Just one foot in front of the other each day. And remember, the darkest night often comes for the brightest morning, and your morning is coming. Just, you know, keep your path going forward. Get out of victimhood and the victory and become the ultimate version of yourself so you can be the hero of your story. Wow, that's so powerful and, and inspiring. Well, I want to thank you so much, Kwam, for joining me on my episode. And everybody, make sure you go ahead and pick up Kwan's book. You can make sure you can go and grab that on Amazon and tune in for next week's episode. I'm your host, Kyra Mahoney. And if you'd like to get any vibe selection merchandise, you can do so at www.teespring.com slash vibe selection. You can follow me on Instagram at I am Kyra Mahoney, or you can support me on Patreon at uh, www.patreon.com slash vibe selection. Thank you. Tune in for next week's episode. Thank you for joining Vibe Selection with Kyra. Come vibe out with us again next time and hear the latest on today's hot topics. Find us on Instagram at I am Kyra Mahoney or donate at www.patreon.com slash vibe selection.